Today, I want to talk about perception. So we've been doing this bit of a series on the five khandas, and we've been discussing the, um, feeling, first of all, body or form, all material things, and feeling. And today, we'll put our attention on perception. And it's, it's a really interesting contemplation about what all is included in this. On the basic level, perception is defined as one of the, the khandas as the, the way of perceiving that which comes to us through our senses. And it's the six sense bases, not just the five, not just you know the forms we see and sounds and odors and tastes and the things we touch, but also mental phenomena. You know, what, what we do it as far as perception goes with what we think. And so that brings us into a lot of interesting territory, especially for how we can practice. So at that very basic level, we perceive and distinguish colors and shapes and, you know, whether we're hearing music or birds singing or, you know, like, um, you know, the sound of a jackhammer or whatever it is, we perceive those things, we can, we can distinguish different things. And then the way perception works, sometimes we misperceive something, you know, um, you feel some something brush your skin, and you might think, oh, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of wind, or it's, you know, some piece of your clothing, then you find out it's a spider and you have a whole different reaction. <laughs> and so perception has a really, plays a really big part in our moment by moment experience. And we also, um, as we look at this from the perspective of its place, perception's place in the five khandas, uh, the Buddha said that we we can't really separate it cleanly from feeling and consciousness. And in particular, you could see this in um, in the suttas, in either the Buddha or Venerable Sariputta talking about this. There's one one place in the Middle Length Discourses, number forty three, called the Great Classification, where. Maha Kotita and Venerable Sariputta are talking, and it's it's pretty interesting exchange. And when they talk about perception, it's it's described as what we, you know, when we perceive, we perceive what we feel, and then we cognize what we perceive. So this idea that feeling and perception and consciousness can't really be cleanly dissected to see the difference between them. They're very inter, interwoven, intertwined. You know, there's, um, there's the basic things we perceive, you know, if, as I said, with just the characteristics or qualities of what we come into contact with. But then we have all of these other values that we add on. Our perception includes, you know, what we think of people, 
how we perceive ourselves. Uh, you know, with, with animals, you know, we might perceive an animal, one person might perceive an animal as a friend, another one might perceive it as a pest or a meal. Um, you might think it's cute or it's mean or it's dangerous or it's friendly, you know, there's, and in, there's some kind of basis for these perceptions sometimes uh, in the moment, you know, um, coming across a living being that is acting in an aggressive way, but it can also be that it's just our perception based on our past, based on our karma, based on our experience from the past. And we all know that this is the case, that, you know, we might have a perception of something and another person experiencing the same thing will have a different perception, a different take on it. And the thing that is important about perception is that we really, it really is fundamental to our development. So there's a, a sutta, uh, it, it shows up in different places in the suttas, but there's a sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya in the Book of Fours. It's number 179. Uh, the title is Nibbana. And there, um, Venerable Ananda comes up to Venerable Sariputta, and he asks him, why is it that some sentient beings get enlightened and in this present life and others don't? And the answer that Venerable Sariputta gives is that some sentient beings don't really understand which perceptions make things worse, which keep things steady, which perceptions lead to development or a distinction. You know, when he says distinction, it means de developing real wisdom and which ones lead to complete understanding or awakening. And so it's like to see that this is about perception is pretty fascinating. And, and the opposite. So if we understand, if, if a person understands what perceptions make things worse in terms of our life, in terms of the, our mind becoming, you know, or, or standing in the way of the mind becoming pure, which perceptions keep things steady or stable in terms of our development, which things lead to real development and real insight, this is really crucial to our awakening. So the question is, how do we use perception? And how do we begin to appreciate what, we, what kinds of perceptions we have that have been kind of um, conditioned into our into our being, into our character, into our uh, the way we think, so that we can start to tease those apart and and let go of the ones that are not helpful, let go of the ones that hold us back. So a really um, kind of common thing is that you know we hear something, so there's the contact and we perceive it as something offensive and we take it personally and we get angry or irritated 
This is really a common experience for anyone. We've all had that experience. And to rec then if we start to practice with that and we start to pull it apart and we, we can look at, okay, um, when I'm hearing this, this is my perception of it. And to realize that perception is impermanent, it's uncertain. It's not for sure. Like I said, someone else might hear the same thing and it won't be, they won't have the same perception. If we take it personally, we're, we're um, already well down the path of thinking, first of all, what do I think of me as a person? That, you know, we've got this idea of a self, an abiding self that has certain qualities. This is all perception that has certain qualities and is right now being degraded or disregarded or in some other way offended. And we take that to be an actual fact when actually it's really our perception. Now, what happens, you know, if someone is, <laughs> you know, intentionally wanting to put us down and doing, saying things that are harsh, you know, that's really, if we, if we look at this from the perspective of the Dhamma, that's their problem. It doesn't have to be our problem. And that's, what, that's where we can start to see our perception. We can have a perception of, you know, how other people can emotionally affect us. Or we can tease that apart and recognize that I'm really, I can, I can cultivate or take up the perception that whatever other people are saying or doing is really not about me, has nothing to do with me. We can, we can learn from it, but we can use that perception. So how can we like, work through these kinds of things where we have anger or irritation or, or we have a grudge against someone? And one way to do it is to cultivate the perception, first of all, of impermanence, recognizing that this is not sure. And then we can also cultivate the perception of this person's good qualities, reminding ourselves. So we look at the person differently, thinking about their good qualities. Instead of thinking about, well, they said this to me, they have this opinion of me, or they're judging me, or whatever it is that's there. When we think about their good qualities, we have more chance of developing kindness toward them. And this is also, this is culti cultivating a perception of kindness. If we think about how they're suffering, because when people say things that are unkind, there's suffering there. And then we can, we can cultivate the perception of compassion. And when I say it's a perception, it doesn't mean that that just that's not like it's fake or just an idea or or it's it's um, somehow illegitimate. It's actually the the development of the perception is actually brings the kindness up in our heart. It actually brings the compassion up in our heart. So sometimes people ask, "Well, how can I?" Create you know, metta or karuna, 
you know, I say the phrases, but I don't really feel it. And one way to begin to feel it is to really put our attention on the good qualities of whatever we might be focusing on. It could be good qualities in ourselves, good qualities in other people, and good qualities in that, um, that dog that we think is, is being threatening or the suffering in ourselves, the suffering in others, the suffering of that dog being afraid. And then what will arise is, a, is an authentic feeling of kindness or an authentic feeling of compassion. And, and from that place, we can begin to cultivate that even more strongly, more fully. And it can really grow in us. But it's all based on perception. How we are seeing things. And so this is why when the when Venerable Sariputta or the Buddha are saying that <clears throat> this is integral to our awakening, this cultivation, this realizing what, what kinds of perceptions help us to develop on the path and to really put intention and effort into cultivating those. So if we, if we do this regularly, like when we feel irritated or angry or some other feeling arises, then we can really cultivate this perception to a point where there's, there's true development in the mind, true development of the heart. Another thing that we can do when this happens is we can change our focus in other ways. Um, when, when there's something unpleasant, we perceive as unpleasant that comes to us through our senses. We can put our focus on ourselves rather than putting the focus on the, the source of that contact, the source of that. So if someone's saying something or doing something that we find irritating, if we put our attention on ourselves, so this is kind of that idea I talk about often of, you know, when we have some kind of reaction in ourselves, emotional reaction, and we, you know, just, just notice the triggering event, just give it one sentence, and then we turn to the feeling in our body, and we work with that. This is an idea of changing our focus from the, the story to our perception and our reaction to it, how it feels to us. And we can look at that in a way that brings up kindness or compassion for ourselves. We can contemplate suffering and that, that helps to keep us from responding or reacting in unskillful ways. And it also helps us work through whatever the conditioning has been that causes us to take things personally and to um, deepen the, the suffering in ourselves and the animosity we might feel towards others. So we start to look differently at the world and we start to look differently at other people, other living beings. Our perception changes and perception is so unstable you know it really changes and good thing because we can actually shape it 
cultivate that kind of change in perception. There's um, a place where the Buddha is giving advice to his son, Rahula. This is in the middle length discourse is also number 62. And he, he uh, tells Rahula to develop meditation on the perception of impermanence. You know, just that perception of impermanence that all of the, all things in the world are impermanent. And he said, when you develop meditation on the perception of impermanence, the conceit I am is abandoned. It will be abandoned. So this whole idea of this solid, everlasting self, um, that eventually falls apart. And then we're really free from the suffering, all suffering. So there are, there are quite a few different perceptions that the Buddha encouraged us to, to develop. Um, you can find whole lists of them in various places in the suttas, like developing the perception of unattractiveness. So if we uh, feel drawn to something and there's clinging to something, we can look at the, the unattractive side of it. I mean, in the most potent probably example of that is if we're attracted to someone sexually that we should not uh, get involved with the most powerful way to counteract that is to look at the unattractiveness of, of the person of the body in particular. It might feel very, seem very alluring on the outside, but you think of it without the skin and it's not so, um, it's not so compelling anymore. Um, the Buddha encourages developing the perception of death. So really, really reflecting on what it's like to die and what it, the fact that we will all die and we're not taking anything with us in this world. So we start to let go of attachment and clinging, um, whatever kind of desperation we might feel or anxiety about what's happening to the material things in our life. And that's a, that's a big step already in the practice. And then we move further into the practice when we're working with our mental states. You know, the perception of impermanence, the perception of non-self, the perception of abandoning or letting go of, of things, a kind of a perception of renunciation, what it's like to, to abandon our habits, perception of, of dispassion or losing the clinging and craving that we experience the perception of the cessation of things the ending the ending of things and the ending of our own suffering so as you can see this is a very many layered, quite powerful reflection of, of various kinds. And the Buddha also talked about developing the perception of emptiness. 
And, and there's a place in the middle length discourses, number 78, where he talks about this in very kind of um, easily relatable terms. Like he said, if you're meditating, you're, um, he said, if you, if you're not putting attention on the perception of being in the village, let's say you're meditating, you're living in, in town somewhere, but you turn your perception away from that, you're not paying attention to the perception of people. Instead, you're putting your perception, uh, you're putting your mind on the perception of forest. This is the way he talks about it in the sutta. You enter into that perception of forest and you acquire confidence and steadiness of mind. Uh, you know, so you kind of get that idea. He's not talking in some kind of really esoteric um, terms. He's talking about, you know, where do we put our attention? Like if you've ever been around, you know, in a place where there's a lot of noise, uh, a restaurant or something, you can turn your attention to just the person in front of you and you can kind of block out everything else. Or you can turn your attention to a table uh, like even quite far away in the room and you can hear what they're saying. And so oftentimes our attention is drawn to things that are actually irritating to us. And sometimes we can notice that we actually get a sense of, I don't know, power or solidity of self when we feel irritated or angry, especially self-righteous um, feelings. And these are the kinds of things that the Buddha is encouraging us to recognize as not helpful, not helpful to us in our development, to turn our attention to those things that actually bring us peace, happiness, flexibility, tolerance, patience. And our perceptions can change so easily. It's useful to look at the times when we see that happen in ourselves. We can have a perception of ourselves, and then shift our thinking a little bit and have a different perception of ourselves. And even the, the things that we feel like, okay, I'm a kind person, or I'm a careful person, or I'm a foolish person, or I'm um, skilled in this way or that way. But then we, we might in some way not be that way at some point. In a, in a way, we, we want to be able to recognize our good qualities and encourage those, but not get locked into some idea that, oh, this is the way I am, because I'm not like that every minute. And then we don't have to feel bad about that being the case. And just remember that our perceptions are malleable and not to be too um, kind of set on them. And that's true for other people too. As we look at other people, being open to the fact that they're changing all the time and our perceptions of them are not the whole story. When we look into the past and our memories, it's our perceptions of what happened in the past. They're not fully reliable. And any perceptions of the future, our ideas of what will happen, is totally not solid. 
know, like we can have a lot of worries, understandably, there's a reason for having concerns about something like climate change, but we don't really know what's going to happen. It's if we remember that, that there is uncertainty there, then we can we can live in a more productive way. And we can be happier and more at peace. And it's not about blocking out the facts of things, but to know that the perceptions we wrap around things, the things we imagine are variable. They're not reliable. And even in the present, what we choose to perceive, what we choose to pay attention to really changes the, the experience that we have. Buddha, the Buddha talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, compared perception to a mirage. So really have that sense of, you know, not that it's not really um, true or, or helpful to be believing that our perceptions are actual fact. So when we have some opportunity in practice, like, you know, looking at other people in a new way, in a fresh way, or looking at a situation that we're in and seeing the, the benefits as well as the drawbacks, and then, you know, shifting our perception, just noticing what happens to the heart. But when we shift our perception, you know, and it's we can feel like <clears throat> maybe we might have some feeling of um, that we deserve something that we're not getting. This is something. This is a common kind of feeling. But if we if we shift our perception to what actually is there for us instead. We can really change and change how we're experiencing the moment, but our perceptions that we hold also have an impact on the future. So if if we hold the view that you know we don't get our fair share, for example, I mean I don't know if you know any people who kind of go through life feeling like they're shortchanged all the time even if there's a lot of evidence to the contrary, but it really affects their life as they go on. We actually are behaving from out, you know, based on those perceptions, and it really changes the way that we are presenting ourselves and the way that the people around us respond. So it's, it's a valuable practice to reflect on how we perceive things and how we might change those to, to notice, is this perception helping? Is this helping me become more free, more, um, more clear about the way things actually are? 
Or is this holding or perpetuating a pattern that is counterproductive? And usually when we focus on the negative things about ourselves or others, it's, it's not helpful. It holds us back. Shifting to something that's based much more in kindness, compassion, and tolerance is, is, is helpful. And it really changes how we, how we behave. So with those thoughts, I'm interested in any questions or comments anyone has. So we can get into the real nitty gritty. Usually the questions and comments help really flesh out the topic. Neil? Um, wow, yeah. Um, I think I've, I, I've, always had, a, for a long time, had a sense that an understanding of sort of how our perceptions can be totally delusional is really a key to breaking through. And so this talk um, it, it has been long awaited by me. And so thank you for that. Um, I'd really like to take a look at the Anguttara Nikaya Sutta that you mentioned in fours, if you could just say again what the number is. I think that was 179. Let me check my notes to make sure. <clears throat> Somehow I'm not able to. <laughs> I, I did a quick look in the index for either yeah. perception and Nibbana and neither came up with a, with the sutta yeah. in the fours. Yeah, it's number 179. Okay. Um, and then I have a question. Um, so, so many things that you said sound like really um, great things to look at. But one thing that I often have trouble with is looking at something through the perception of impermanence. Because what tends to happen to me is I hear impermanence and the way I think about it is, well, yeah, that goes without saying, everything is impermanent. And so my instinct is to go with it, to enjoy it because it's not gonna be here for long. <clears throat> and so I think that there's some other level to looking at impermanence that I'm missing. And I wonder if you can help me with that. Does it make sense what I'm asking? It, it does. And I think um, sometimes I think your response is the right one. You know, like, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we have an opportunity to be with someone, a good friend or a teacher or um, someone. And we know that we're not gonna have this opportunity to be together for very long. And you really do make the most of being present in that, in that moment. But for a lot of things, we wanna 
we want to um and and even in that we don't want to be holding tightly to it in a grasping and clinging way but with other things even more so we might really we want to look at how do i let go and not and not be clinging to this or grasping for it and and in that i think that it's a matter of just moving on recognizing that it's impermanent but then looking at the the drawbacks looking at the dukkha so that's what the buddha recommended you're it's impermanent it's suffering and it's not self and if you look at both the suffering and the not self parts uh, then you'll have a much more realistic of experience and perception of the reality such that you actually start to value the the wisdom and the seeing of reality as it is more than the experience in the world um yeah as you're speaking in my mind i'm trying to apply like some specific things that i don't really want to say out loud and um yeah let yeah i have to um maybe sit with that for a bit thank you yeah you're welcome thank you neil danny um yesterday after spending way too much time reading about the end of the world and uh i i i went out and i i just had to buy one thing at this sort of drugstore and i so i'm checking out the lines which is the shortest which is which one will move the fastest and i have no place to go really i'm i have all the time in the world but i i picked the, the what i thought was the shortest line it turned out to be the worst line and uh the woman in front of me with a a young child was just buying one thing also but then it turned into sort of a disagreement about how much it cost and uh i just found myself beyond irritated mm-hmm. and just like why is this happening to me <laughs> and uh i th- and i thought like okay this is an opportunity to just to check out what's going on with me and i could not let it go i i just i went into the story of who this woman and the and the cashier of like uh and i think i'm i i'm i'm hiding this so well and but i'm not doing well and then the woman turned to me the one who was buying something and she said i'm sorry and uh and I thought, I'm not hiding this well. And uh, and I didn't really think of it until now. This is this this talk is so good because I I felt now such compassion for for her because she was struggling like negotiating the price of something that cost less than five dollars and uh and this woman who's working there, she's working a minimum wage job. And I'm just filled with like rage almost. And I, I can't begin to access that. And it kind of 
And then, of course, it turns into what's wrong with me? Mm. What's wrong with me that I can't feel compassion in it? And I, I sometimes feel like I don't know what to do with that sort of small irritation that, that, and then I, I felt like I just lost this opportunity to connect with anyone there. And I, and I also realized that I was in some level enjoying my irritation. I felt righteous and, <laughs> And as the further it went on, I think the more I then began forming of like, oh, this is going to be a really good story of like how it took 10 minutes to buy this for this woman to buy. And I'm, I'm right now I'm sort of caught in. I, I, I don't know how to live in this world sometimes, but that feels like it's just I do better if I'm just here alone but once i go out there i'm confronted with with me and i and i i don't know i'm just picturing like a lost opportunity to but it's not a lost opportunity because i'm here and i'm seeing it now whereas in the past i i wouldn't even it would just become another another story so thank you very much for this. But I guess I don't, I find it so in the moment, I mean, I began to recognize in the moment, this is not right. <laughs> I'm the one, I'm the problem. And, uh, but I guess it's just, a, I guess it's just a matter of, of doing this again. And maybe I recognize a day later and then the next time I will be able to bring more compassion and into the moment. So thank you. Thank you, Danny. That was such a beautiful expression of so many facets of this process. It was just amazing. <laughs> and, and poetically put, I must say. <laughs> and the one, the one thing I really want to bring our attention to is that tendency to once we, once we shift away from blaming others, we blame ourselves. And that this too is just conditioning and a, and a, a, a misunderstanding of what we are and who we are and what we're not. And, um, and that this too is worthy of compassion, as much compassion as anyone else is worthy of. And, and to really see the truth that we we're all conditioned process that's what we are so that conditioning from the past and then if any of you are like me then you may have gone through a, a phase of being angry at those who put that conditioning there you know <laughs> some belief that that was done to me which is also a misperception and recognizing that yes we are affected by other conditioned processes and uh, not to blame the living beings associated with that either that right. we can have compassion on all all sides of it and take a deep breath and like you said so well next time uh, it might be a little easier to come to this a little bit more smoothly. 
I, I think there's some sense of when I read the news, I feel this real sense of powerlessness mm. and that I and that I, that I have no way of affecting the world. And yet I'm was presented very clearly with a place where I do have power in this mm. individual, this very that's that that's feels like that's the way to change the world is mm. to change me, to be more compassionate and the rippling effect of that. And also to really engage in our wisdom and cultivate that purity of mind because then we stand in a position of power no matter what's happening in the world. We're standing not in a personal power, but in the power of the Dhamma. That we know that everything's impermanent. We know that things are going to continue to be a total hot mess in the world. <laughs> That's not going to change. You know, we get one version of it and then we get a different version of it, but it keeps coming the same way. And we think, oh, right now it's worse than it's ever been, but that's the perception every generation has had. And yeah, it's all going to keep changing and being out of control. So if we identify with the world, then we feel powerless. Mm -hmm. If we identify with the Dhamma, we're solid. Thanks. Thank you, Tammy. Kate. Yeah, first I'd, I'd really like to thank Denny for what he just shared. That felt so authentic and real and true to me. And I really sensed you speaking, Denny, from the bottom of your heart. And that's just such a privilege when people do that. So thank you. Thank you. And I've been there too. I've been in exactly that situation. So I appreciate your words. My question is um, my question is I'm wondering if you could say a little more Aya about um, perception as one of the khandas and also view in Buddhism um, and I'm thinking of the of wise view here or unwise view um, and the, the Noble Eightfold Path. And also, and the third piece was also the relationship with uh, Pana, with wisdom or discernment. How do those, how do those three fit together? <coughs> Some thoughts on that. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. So there's right view. And that's in accord with Dhamma, in accord with the way things actually work. And there's wrong view, which is not in accord with Dhamma and the way things actually work. And wisdom is generally, or oftentimes the Buddha defines it as, as knowing the difference between what's wholesome and unwholesome. So that includes right view and wrong view. It also includes you know, those things that will create more suffering and those things that will lead us to more peace more more calm more kindness more happiness and so perception is related to these because we perceive situations 
and experience. We perceive what comes through the senses. And we, it, as we develop our understanding and our, and our wisdom deepens through these various, these uh, practices, I mean, this is one aspect of it where the Buddha is encouraging us to develop perception in accordance with the Dhamma, in se- perception of impermanence, perception of, of suffering. You know, the, the four main ways that we misperceive are we think something's permanent when it's not. We think something's happiness when it's actually suffering. We think something's self or belonging to self when it's actually not. We think something's beautiful that's actually ugly. These are called the Wipalasa. And those misperceptions are wrong view and, and they're related to wrong view. And they're also, you know, when we when we see through them, that's a that's another aspect of wisdom of panya. So all three of these things that you mentioned are very closely related. And it comes down to the simple sorting, the discernment of what leads to happiness and peace, what leads to suffering and stress. And the Buddha was brilliant. He was able to identify all these aspects of reality, of the way we experience things, and, and to be able to make this clear distinction. You're going towards Nibbana or you're going away from it. <laughs> okay thank you could you do you happen to know the sutta in which the four misperceptions because i i've Hmm. read them do you happen to know which sutta it was i'm sure it shows up in many places and i don't know uh, a reference offhand okay no worries if you look at the vipalasa yeah uh, do you have a way of searching? Yes. The canon? Okay. If you if you look for, hmm, I'm sure you'll be able to figure out how to how to find it. Yeah. It shows up in, a, in quite a few places. You can even look that one up in Wikipedia and it'll pop up. <laughs> Just ask Google. Now Google knows a lot about the Dhamma. Sure does. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Memo. Thank you, Aya. Um, I was uh, thinking about perception, and and uh, when I read uh, Ayam Panawado, Panawado's uh, biography, mm-hmm. something that struck me is that he defined Panya, uh, going back to to the Pali lessons, <laughs> uh, Panya as as memory. Uh, not only as perception. Uh, what do you so mean, Sanya? I think it was Panya. Panya is wisdom. Ah. Yeah, yeah, Sanya, sorry, Sanya. Yeah, Sanya. Yeah, perception, as memory, yes. perception as memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, uh, it, it was kind of puzzling uh, uh, to, because you, you used you use a, a couple of times the term conditioning but memory also makes sense, but it's kind of puzzling to, to mm-hmm. think about it as perception at the, at the same time as memory. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Do you elaborate on that? Yes, when I, I, I have 
um, had that experience too of talking with Ajampanya Wado about this. <clears throat> and the way I take it in is that, you know, when you're looking at these five collections, these heaps, which are the khandas, then some things get placed in, in different heaps or buckets. And then memory, memory going into this perception bin, you might say, or pile, um, makes some sense, you know, that this memory is really all perception, you know, because we don't remember, I don't think we probably remember anything accurately. You know, what the scientific research shows is that we file memories of an instance along with our experience of it in the same place. And when we recall it, we can't make a distinction between what actually happened and our perception of what happened. So we might have in the moment, you know, heard something, seen something, and something gets triggered in our mind that brings up some idea about it, which is, you know, figuring in on our perception. When that gets stored and we recall it, it's still got that, that coloring, that perception along with it. So you can see how tied to perception memory is, or really, really completely corrupted <laughs> by it in a way, you know, we, um, yeah, I, I, I admitted that I think I'd be the worst possible person to ask what happened in a crime <clears throat> what the person looked like or what color the car was because my memory doesn't keep track of any of that. <laughs> and it's, it's the perception, um, you know, so I, that's how I, that's how I see it. I like, I'm, I'm a little bit more simple minded. So I, <laughs> I like the description of it. I heard, I don't remember who talked about it, but they were saying like, okay, so you have, we have this bell, right. And we all know it's a bell because we live in this world of dumbest stuff. So we see this and we go, oh, it's a bell. But someone who has never seen this before is like, oh, it's a salad bowl. And so like our memory of this and our perception of this is, oh, I've seen this before. I know it's a bell. Someone who's never seen it before has no memory of it is like, hmm, where's lunch? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> that's how I make sense of it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Sometimes when I've walked for alms with my alms bowl and the one I have has kind of a crocheted um, like cover and people like what what's in the basket? <laughs> Is that a little drum? We get a little drum. Sometimes. Do you have some goodies in there that I can have? People are like, oh, <laughs> no, it's supposed to work the other way, people. <laughs> it's funny. But yeah, perception plays such an important part of our experience. Yeah, thank you, Aya. Thank you both. You're welcome. Any other comments or questions? Any anything from here? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> Shall we meditate? Yeah, let's meditate. Okay. Find a comfortable position.
Excuse me. One of the perceptions that the Buddha talked about is the perception of breath. So when we practice mindfulness of in and out breathing, we begin with a, an upright posture. <coughs> We begin with an upright posture and relaxing the body. And we establish mindfulness and then this is also a perception. And we perceive our ability to be present and aware When we tune in to the breathing and we have this perception of breath. Is everything that we notice and think gets filtered through perception. When we feel the breath coming in and going out. We might perceive the in-breath filtering through the whole body, spreading through the whole body. We can perceive the out-breath as helping the body to relax. You can take some deeper breaths in the beginning and we're told that helps to engage the parasympathetic nervous system, which, which signals the, the body and mind to become calm. And then we have this perception. And sometimes when the mind is active, then we might put more attention on the calming of the mind, the calming of the body by focusing on the out-breath.
we might need to sort of say to ourselves in in breath or out out breath to be able to really focus and let go of all other input. And then we can smile, cultivate the perception of kindness and warmth for ourselves and for the world around us. Being happy and at ease right here in the present moment. Concerned about anything else? Enjoying the breath. Or maybe it's not a comfortable breath and we can see if we can invite more comfort, how we might change the breath or change our focus to that which brings more peace and more comfort. more awareness, so being bright, alert, aware, and happy, peaceful. I'm just noticing how this feels in the body. Are there sensations in the body that are pleasant? that come with relaxation, that come with turning our attention inwards. Our observation, our presence with the in-breath and the out-breath can be a bit in the background, but we can still feel it. The feeling of breathing in, the feeling of breathing out. 
And with our immediate attention also on pleasant feelings in the body, warmth, maybe some gentle or subtle tingling, feeling of fullness, something that is pleasant or joyful, this arising in our body. It's a mental feeling, but it presents itself in the body. Sometimes a pleasant feeling might be quite subtle, maybe just a little, just a little bit that comes from being focused, just mindful. Sometimes this kind of pleasant feeling can arise when we're doing other things like writing or singing or running. playing music, making music. It comes from our, our attention, the quality of our, our focused perception. The mind really enjoys being focused. Not in a strict or confining way, but in a, in a pleasant, engaged way. We can get into the flow of present moment awareness.
when we have some presence, mindfulness, and perhaps some pleasant feeling, then it's also easy to develop the perception of loving kindness. You just recognize that feeling of appreciation in the heart. We might bring someone to mind and reflect on their good qualities. Maybe they're making their effort to keep the five precepts, for example. And what a beautiful thing that is. We can reflect on the good qualities of our friends or companions. Our friends of the four-legged type or whatever type. They're good and beautiful qualities. And a kind of pleasant happy, caring feeling arises in the heart. Kindness is such an integral part of the path. And it is strengthened through the way that we place our attention and develop that perception. So that our whole being feels permeated with kindness. soaked in it. Feeling the happiness and joy of kindness. Continuing to let that spread and grow. Including ourselves in that beautiful, Beautiful state, beautiful awareness. We can still use our awareness of our breath to strengthen that 
sense of metta, of kindness, that perception. Grounded, solid, and inspiring. Filling our entire being and all of the surrounding area with that beautiful state of kindness. And unconditional love for self and others. Not needing or wanting anything. Just a happy, pleasant, kind awareness expanding around us, continuing to, to develop. Going beyond any limits. Bringing good to ourselves and to the whole world. Acknowledging what's good in ourselves and in the whole world. And then we'll see if we can maintain that kindness and allow it to continue as we bring our awareness back to our gathering.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.